Hello, and welcome to Urban Design Room. On today's episode, Salford City Councillor Derek Antrobus is on to discuss his experience of cities, politics and planning. He gives some fascinating insights into the redesign of the Chapel Street Corridor and the development of Media City in Salford, and explains why for him, it's accessibility and openness which make great cities. I hope you enjoy the episode. So Derek, for you, what is a good neighbourhood? What makes a good city? Well, I think cities are all about difference. Different people, very different backgrounds, every aspect of difference that you can think of is being concentrated in a particular place. And in poor cities, that difference creates tensions, creates areas which are no-go areas because one type of person doesn't like to go through an area that's dominated by uh, another person. So good cities for me and good neighbourhoods and neighbourhoods that transcend that difference. People are able to mix openly and freely and enjoy in, enjoy the spaces. So it's it's no good pretending that there isn't the potential for, for those tensions, but I think a really good city is one that resolves those tensions so people from different backgrounds can live, if not in harmony, at least in uh, in mutual toleration. Do you have any examples that spring to mind if you think of successful neighbourhoods or successful cities? What is it about them that yeah. makes them great? Is it just this aspect of being able to mix lots of different people yeah. in an area in, in harmony? Well, I think if you look at parts of Greater Manchester, in the regional centre, you've got places like Chinatown, which you think of that's dominated by one ethnic group, go into the area and everything about it, the design, the writing on the wall, the types of shops, the smells, the sort of food that's being sold, everything tells you that it's uh, dominated by Chinese ethnic community. But anyone can go there. I certainly never feel threatened when I, I go through there. I don't feel as though I shouldn't be there, that it's somebody else's place. And then you can move from from that part of the centre, go across the road, and there's a gay village, which again, apparently dominated by one particular community, but it's actually open. Anyone mm. can walk through and, and enjoy the bars and, 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 and whatever. And that to me, that's a, a good example where the positive aspects of difference you know, adding to this sort of rich mosaic of, of city life. It's not this idea that everywhere is the same, that there is difference in different places, but everybody's got access to those uh, those spaces, so spatially differentiated, but they're not segregated, and that, I think, is, is the key. That's hopefully what we can try to do in Salford. I, th- I think you know, there are communities being created in Salford or creating themselves in Salford, and um, how they pan out but I just hope that um, the new Greengate uh, area, lots of um, uh, apartment blocks going up but we're very keen to establish a sense of community there and for it to be open to be just another quarter of the city that people go to as well as live in. How much do you think your view of cities and neighbourhoods is affected by your political leanings? Having spent a lot of your career in politics, working around politics, do you think the values or ideologies that you've been driven by shape how you view urban areas? Yeah, I think that idea of openness comes from belief about equality and everybody should have access to uh, to spaces. And it's recognising that it isn't just about what the law says. So we know that we've got the right to move 
certain areas, but there are wider structures, and I think because of my left leanings, because I'm a socialist, you have this perception, you see the, what the wider structures are that prevent people from um, en- enjoying spaces that may be around gender, There's, you know, some certain streets that women might be frightened going down, so formally they've got the right to that part of the city but they intimidated, they, they can't use it. An area like Salford Keys, when we first built that, one of my big concerns was that it shouldn't become an exclusive area, that it should be something that could be enjoyed by people from all parts of the city and not seen as a place for the middle class because that a theatre. The fact that my mum likes going down to Salford Keys. <laughs> uh, still is in a council flat in Littles and she likes going down there and enjoys the events there and the spaces there. I, I always think that well, that means that we've got something right down there, even though it took a lot of time. Yeah. Do you think the politics played a role, say, in, in Sulphur Keys Media Cities, in the design choices or the typologies of the buildings there, the decisions around the public space? Or was yeah. that just left to developers and, well, Peel Holdings that developed No, the there? basic design, uh, City Council commissioned architects practice, design practice, who came to Salford almost living in Salford at, uh, at the time because it was a London-based practice. Uh, he worked with council officers and elected members to um, s- establish the design principles for, for Salford Keys. And was that uh, shaped by was, the members, or do you think that Peter Hunter Architect led it and just told the councillors uh, about it? Well, I, th- I think they led it because the best one in the world, councillors haven't got the time or the expertise to mm. design to, to design. Uh, spaces, you know, we can establish principles. So we wanted it to be a walkable uh, space. So it was all these bridges that were playing across across the docks. We wanted to uh, wanted to make it difficult for cars. Uh, but you know, there were some things that we didn't like. You couldn't control unless you were the landowner. And, you know, one, one is that big car park part of the Lowry Outlet Mall, which I think was uh, a mistake. But at the time, nobody foresaw what it was going to look like, what everything was going to look like. You know, in the early days, uh, we'd made massive compromises on uh, quality. There were a couple of big grey sheds which dominated um, uh, Salford Keys at one time. And, and when we got the planning application for them, myself and the then chair of the planning committee, Ben Walsworth, turned to our officers and said, no way, we're not going to have these. And they said, well, there's nobody else interested. But if you accept those, then I guarantee that in 20 years' time, there'll be an application to pull them down and put something much better up. And in the meantime, that investment will have given others the confidence to invest. They were right. It worked out right in the end. So just give some background to what po- local politicians can play in, in urban development in England is that the planning rights, mm. the, the right to build is granted by local councils. That's right, yeah. And so the role that you can play as a local councillor is that you will sit on a planning panel, is that the right That's word? That's right, yeah. And these developers, these landowners will come and say, we want to build um, this new building, this new development, this new neighbourhood in this area. And they know that they have to work with the local councillors because ultimately they will not get planning permission Unless the local councils say yes, apart from if they take it to the National Planning <laughs> Inspector. Is well, that a fair explanation uh, uh, of the role that politicians I, can play I, I in this country? I don't, I don't think it's quite uh, that, because it implies that um, 
it's satisfying uh, councillors as members of the planning committee, and that that's not the case. What is the case is the council publishes a plan which sets out its planning policies, mm. and in that plan, the role for councillors is to say what are the good principles of design that we would like to see. And then the test is whether an application fits in with those already published principles. So it's not satisfying the councillors. Yes. And sometimes you get councillors who who will say, well, I'd really like to see this rather than that. The officers turn around and say, well, actually, in your plan, you yeah. say you will accept that, so you can't change your mind. Uh, it's there in the plan. So all our role is is to test whether or not an application meets the principles and policies set out in the plan. You could use some guidance, some of the, the documents that might be there as planning, additional yeah. planning yeah. documents, yeah. 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 which you, you could bring into an argument or a discussion with the developer. Oh, yeah, say, yeah. Look in our urban, you, like Salford has an urban yeah. design um, yeah. document, right? That's so we right, say yeah. we, we want these principles yeah. to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that is part of the plan, uh, yeah. the... Uh, you know, the plan it consists of national planning policy, the, uh, the local development plan, and supplementary planning documents. So altogether, they provide the uh, the criteria by which you must mm. judge developments. And when and I've seen heard councillors at panel meetings say, "Well, I don't care what the policy is. I want this." Well, if you say that, you're um, on track for an appeal that will be successful and punitive costs awarded against you because you've been totally unreasonable in asking for something other than what your plan says be asking for. And, and that's, the, um, that, that's the thing that you've always got to, to think about. Do you think it's worth having this political oversight of planning? Does it play a, a positive role? Does it play a negative role? Or is it just a bit of both? I think that um, the public focus is not enough on the plan and too much on individual decisions because that's where the public interfaces with the plan when on individual decisions. We're consulting now on our next version of uh, the local plan and we will get hundreds of objections about allocations for housing. We will get very few comments on whether or not our urban design principles are right, whether our sustainability principles are right. People won't comment on those. I suppose that's why we have a sort of democracy that we have, because they expect they let you to make those decisions for them. Um, and it's only when the council's decisions affect the personal interests of the majority of the population that they they want to get involved, which is, you know, just accept that. That's, that's the way of the world. Uh, but most people won't. Uh, will not be challenging our urban design principles. And that makes things quite difficult, really, because you're relying on the expertise of your officers and um, the knowledge and interests of councillors. You know, most councillors are not interested in urban design principles. You know, they became councillors because they wanted to end unemployment in the city or they wanted to um, improve education standards or improve social care. And the last thing they wanted to do was to talk about what pavement should look like. So, you know, if, if you've got someone who's weird like me, <laughs> uh, who is interested in those things, it is quite exceptional to, to have somebody like that. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that this has got to be iterative between developers, 
professional planners and, 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 and politicians. You can't say that this has got to be politician-led because we don't have the expertise to be able to... Uh, we might have some knowledge, we might have some understanding, and we might be able to point things in the right general direction. But when it comes down to, to details, you need real expertise. Uh, so today I've been to uh, high-rise development in the city. Our planning panel likes to have red brick buildings <laughs> wherever they are, and this was a bit different, granite and sort of green tile, which... I've been down to see today and it looks absolutely stunning. Most people who work for development companies uh, are frustrated by the owners of development companies because they're looking at the bottom line, but the guys who are actually doing the work are usually very passionate about what they're mm. doing and trying to get things right. You know, I see that all the time. Sites always, always trying to improve things because at the end of the day, they're creating something and you want people to look at what you've created and go, wow, that's good. So I, d I don't... I don't see all developers as being evil, grasping exploiters, which is uh, the way some people seem to look at them. There are things in the system which encourage them to value engineer. I think that most of the people who are involved are really trying to do, uh, do things better. Talking about development in Salford then, you've been heavily involved or were heavily involved mm. with the redesign of Chapel Street which is one of the major routes into yeah. the centre of Manchester coming through central Salford yeah. and it has changed a lot in the mm. last 20 years mm. to say the least could you just quickly describe what are the transformations of this street over the last 20 years? Well I, th I think key for me is that you, you, you travelled down Chapel Street and you never saw people there the reason why you never saw people there is because they were very few shops, pubs had closed, it was just a ghost town and I, I think part of that was because there was a three lane road going into the centre of Manchester, it was the main route into Manchester and you couldn't cross it, why would you open a shop there if people can't cross the road to get to it you know, it, it's, uh, it was just a horrible place and we wanted to turn that around that was the objective policy that I was advocating and getting into officers' minds was that we needed to redevelop this uh, part of the city, partly to reduce commuter journeys. All the forecasts were suggesting that the centre of uh, the conurbation would be in gridlock next 20 years because of the amount of uh, development that was going on on the edge of the, uh, the, the conurbation. We needed to create places where people could walk, cycle to work, also recognising that if you did that, you would ease pressure on some of the greenfield, green belt sites on the, the edge of the city. So you'd be able to protect more of these uh, these open spaces. So we, we uh, established public-private sector partnership with the Salford, uh, Central Salford Urban Regeneration Company, which was about delivering this vision. The first stage was to consult with local people using Salford University as independent facilitators, went out, talked to lots of community groups, developers, professional bodies, everyone with an interest in uh, a stake in the future of that area, and created this vision of uh, Chapel Street being uh, a green boulevard. 
we managed to secure funding from uh, the North West uh, Regional Development uh, Agency. Millions of pounds were uh, in- invested, making the, uh, the street more pedestrian f- friendly. Um, and how was that done? Well, we took out a lane of uh, traffic, so there were only two lanes in each direction, one for buses, one for general traffic. And I can remember at the uh, opening of the start of the work being interviewed by the radio right next to the road and uh, all of these people uh, in their cars uh, winding their windows down and hurling abuse at me. <laughs> uh, you know, what sort of idiot are you trying you yeah. know, uh, t- taking uh, our our laneway? You know, and, and there was also a, an air quality issue there as well. You know, the fact that you was that this at the time as I mean, sorry, just to bring up the yeah. air quality thing. So I think the last sort of three, four years, it's become much more prominent mm. in public consciousness and political yeah. consciousness. Yeah. It seems from what I can yeah. see around. Yeah. Around the world, really, yeah, which yeah. I think I'm not 100 sure, but I think maybe is coinciding with more understanding of it, more research yeah. oh, coming out of yeah. universities yeah. or yeah. somewhere, yeah. whoever is producing this research yeah. around the effects of yeah. pollution, yeah. particularly from cars. Yeah. So, but you're saying so this was 10, 15 years ago. When, That's right. Yeah. So, was it actually informing the change then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, was and, it a, a powerful and, political and, tool um, at the time to try and get the changes, or was it no, just something no, that was mentioned? Um, no, it was something that was mentioned. Right. Um, in fact, it was a very unpopular measure. If you take the email number of emails you get, uh, the negative press coverage as a measure of popularity. But I did notice that most of the emails came from people in Bolton and Warrington, uh, whose route into Manchester would have to change. And you know whether the people who lived in central Salford and who were affected by the pollution, who were affected by the fact that nobody would invest there because they had this massive highway going through their community. Either side of Chapel Street regarded themselves as separate communities because really a place that's um, cut through uh, chopped up the city, divided the city and we wanted to make it a place where people came together and I remember getting up in a council meeting and uh, saying you know, going through all of these arguments and saying and what, what I want to see in the future is people to be able to sit in outside cafes along Chapel Street and the opposition got up and said that will never happen, who would ever want to sit uh, outside a cafe on Chapel Street and uh, I always quote that story uh, <laughs> whenever anybody says anything in the council chamber because, of course, you can do just that now. Um, and it it has, and it goes back to the first point that I was making about openness because that, you know, 1960s Chapel Street, 50s and 60s, that really segregated the city and now it's a place of mixing and joining. Mm. So where people can come together and enjoy that space. And I think that's that's one of the things that makes good good spaces. Yeah. Of course, there's a long way to go. Yeah. So almost coming full circle here, yeah. really, going back yeah. to this point, but it's something that particularly interests me around urban design yeah. and planning is you know how to create social spaces, mm. how to create neighbourhoods, parks, yeah. squares, yeah. streets, right. which not necessarily always bring people together but at least facilitate mm. it create the the platform the stage almost mm. for people to come together so it's about like this redesign of chapel yeah. street creating yeah. that space for people mm. to feel comfortable to connect the two neighborhoods right. to allow people to be in the public space yeah. whether they be sitting out 
on a on a mm. on a bench or to sit mm. outside outside of a cafe to mm. literally be in that public space together. In terms of politics and ideology and values, sometimes I th- you know perhaps there are planning decisions which are seen mm. as apolitical. So, for example, talking about maybe the East Lancashire Road that runs through Salford, which was built from the nineteen mm. thirties and yeah. then and then was widened. And I think there's a strong argument to be made that that decision and that development has led to some segregation of of neighbourhoods or at least a, a degradation mm. of neighbourhoods along that route. Mm. So, for example, like the height, which I've never, yeah. it was way before my time, but I understand there was a high street there of two, yeah, uh, two sides. Was. Yeah, I remember And now, it, yeah. there, now there's just one... Um, one row of shops yeah. and then one road and then this massive road yeah. which you know it really reduces mm. the quality of space and yeah. you know not to mention walkability and the connections that yeah. that can create yeah. so i mean although it may be at the time be seen as an apolitical decision to uh, want to invest in roads and in cars yeah. is perhaps if we do decide to try and lessen the impact of, of say these lengths or decisions around mm. say road building particularly does it have to be a political decision to change it back because of course you get this backlash from from people who are used to driving everywhere yeah. so it has to be a, almost a political movement to change the way that people view space and to say you know what as a political value mm. i value an open city an open neighborhood a place where people feel comfortable mm. and that has to be a political change i think would you, you agree you, with that or do you think I'm, I'm going a bit over the top no, I, th- I think there needs to be a strong political vision Sometimes uh, you surprise yourself when you think you're going to say something really controversial and suddenly everybody's saying, well, yeah, why haven't you done it before? So so there's something about uh, us overcoming our timidity. I like to think that most of these things, um, and again it comes back to uh, my uh, belief that somehow wider structures are sort of changing the way we we operate. So there are some times when... uh, when it's, it becomes self-evident to everybody that change has got to come, to be at the f- forefront of that, to, to have the vision to see that that's the case. And, it, you know, and I, I do think that um, that's the case in Salford. You know, we, uh, Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Grace of Manchester, has got this great B-Lines project, uh, upping the cycling and walking uh, uh, offer with, with, within our cities. You know, Salford's up for that. I'm sure that everybody's rallying behind it oh that's great you know uh, because we all believe in more walking and cycling but when it when we start to um, look at particular pinch points along the a6 and the implications for general traffic and people might not be as as welcoming you really need um, it's, uh, political leadership and you know i think we've got that in salford we've got a very good mayor who's uh, Whenever I say, you know, we've got this great scheme uh, extending uh, cycling and walking, and he'll say, well, 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 one should have done that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's good like, to hear. That's good which, to hear. Uh, so just, just finally, do you have a vision or a, sort of a, a perhaps even utopian vision of cities in general in the UK of what you would like them to be like in 50 years' time? I can envisage some changes that I hope will take place. But cities are created not by politicians and planners, but they're created by the people in them, and that will always be changing, and there'll be all sorts of unexpected things happening, which are far better than any utopian vision that's, uh, that I could have. I think some of the interesting changes are around transport. 
I can see that certainly in 20 years' time, maybe before, that only electric vehicles will be allowed in the regional centre. I think there's an issue about high streets, how they're going to change, given online deliveries. So the feel of our city centres will will start to change. And you know, there's been some thinking done about whether or not these recreational spaces, the new cafes and bars in city centres will actually become workspaces as people take carry their work on their laptop and so, so you, I don't think you can plan to that you know, it's up to each generation. All you can do is to facilitate what you think are the, the, the good changes that are coming about. Okay, great. Well thanks for being on the podcast, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Next week Ellie Forshaw is on to talk about urban design and mental health. See you then.